0: Hello all, there is the world as we know it and the world that we hope for. And often it's the effort of a few courageous doers which makes the difference. These are the change makers who rewrite status quo, making life better for all of us. These people deserve recognition, not only for their work, but also because there is a strong need at our end to be inspired by them. If you're wondering who they are, what drives them, how they think and how they go about pursuing a collective good, you're in luck. So grab a cup of chai and listen to them break it down for all of us. This is me, Amalik, in conversations with some amazing people from all walks of life on Chai for Good. Thank you. Hello, all. Welcome to Chai for Good, a podcast by Chai Point's community program, I Rock. My name is Amlik, and I'm delighted to have Mr. Manish Sabarwal as our guest. I've had the good luck of uh, being with Manish in some sparkling conversations, so I'm really excited now for this interaction, which hopefully all our fans will have an opportunity to enjoy. Let me please first introduce Manish to all our listeners. Mr. Manish Sabawal is currently vice chairman of Team Lease Services, one of India's largest employers. Prior to Team Lease, he had co-founded India Life, which was acquired by NYSE listed Hewitt Associates. He's the managing trustee of the New India Foundation, an initiative that funds upcoming non-fiction authors across India. He's a member of the governing board of Neve Academy, amongst the best schools in Bangalore. He's also the member of the governing board at National Council for Applied Economic Research. He's also a member of the advisory board at Indian Audits and Account Department. He has served as an independent director on the board of Reserve Bank of India. He got his MBA from the Wharton School and is an alumnus of Sriram College of Commerce, Delhi and Mayo College, Ajmer. He's a prolific columnist at leading Indian newspapers and online journals. On Indian Express itself, his article count Exceeded 60 plus when I checked it last night and I really, you know, sort of realized the compounding effort of all your work there. And uh, he's got this amazing capability to write highly accessible pieces on relevant and sometimes fairly complicated social and economic affairs. It's a privilege to have you, Manish. Welcome to Chai For Good.
1: Thanks, Amlik.
0: So just to kickstart this, Let me first please get going with our icebreaker section, Chai Talkies. We want our users to first get a simple glimpse of you as a person. So, Manish, maybe, you know, in a very simple way, talking about your favorite movie and why and your favorite book and why.
1: Well, favorite movie would be Shawshank Redemption. I think I I admire people who do things for 20 years and keep quiet about them and then bring them out in a day, right? I think that... Uh, If there's anything I would like my kids to learn, it would be compounding, you know, the ability to persist for long periods of time with rewards which are at the end of the meal, you know, dessert should be at the end of the meal, it shouldn't be at the beginning. And Shawshank Redemption is just a wonderful meditation on how somebody in a difficult situation can persist for 20 years and triumph over it. So I would say... Shawshank Redemption is probably just a metaphor for compounding in my mind, for a marathon in my mind, for for many metaphors which I sort of think about uh, of life. I think from books is is really really hard, but but a book which I do revisit every year is The History of Strategy by Lawrence Friedman. I think, you know, I'm fascinated by strategy because most people think of strategy as goals. I mean, strategy is really the reconciliation of unlimited aspirations with limited resources. Strategy is really the creation of an unfair advantage in some sense. And all of us in our daily lives, in our personal lives, in our professional lives, should be thinking more systematically about strategy. Because strategy is not about... Predicting the future, it is about preparing for the future. So I'd say one of my favorite books, and anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur, and, you know, entrepreneurs is a loaded word where entrepreneurs, everybody's an entrepreneur at some level, you're a policy entrepreneur, you're a personal entrepreneur, and you have, how do you get things done is really the art of strategy. So I would say strategy by Lawrence Friedman and um, Shawshank Redemption.
0: And um, Manish, I picked up the theme of uh, Amanat versus Jagir from your recent column in Indian Express. Uh, can you please share your thoughts on this uh, fascinating philosophy plank? And I know we've talked about it, but um, would love for our listeners to get a get an idea of your thought process there.
1: The most important question to ask yourself, and many philosophers have read this question is, how can you be a good ancestor? And I think when I was in Srinagar Kashmir lately, a person reminded me about the difference between an Amanat and a Jagir again. And um, both are words for property, and but jagir belongs to you. You know, the Maharaja of Cochin Bihar spent half his treasury on Cartier and Rolls Royce. It was his jagir; he could do what the hell he wanted. But amanat is a very interesting word because most people me think it to mean trusteeship. You know, but actually amanat means you've got to hand it over in better condition than you got it. And to me, that's a real. You know, now I run a publicly listed company for the last five years. We have a I have a scorecard in the newspaper it's called my share price every day and you know i could really maximize um the next quarter by doing silly things but i would screw the next quarter century and if i talk about the next quarter century and don't deliver the next few quarters my investors will not be happy so i think the difference between an amanat and a jagir is really balancing the next quarter and quarter century and in our personal lives, whether it's our health, whether it's our lifelong learning plan, you have to balance the next quarter and quarter century. But even as a company, it's really, really complicated or an organization or a nonprofit. profit so I'm involved in many nonprofits and, you know, balancing the next quarter and quarter century. And so I think that as you get to my sort of midpoint in life, you start sort of thinking about, do you want the next half to be the same as the first half? And um it's, it's important to recognize that, you know, stealing from the future, stealing from your grandchildren is usually very easy, right? I, you know, Rajasthan just introduced a defined benefit pension, and I asked a very senior person in the Rajasthan government, how are you going to pay for this pension? He says, I don't have to pay for it. The chief minister 25 years from now has to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> so I would submit that it's easy to do that. And that's not what we are put on the planet to do. We are put on the planet to hand over the planet, hand over the economy, hand over our society, hand over our organizations in better condition than we found it. Now, that's not a really high standard. It's not perfection, right? I mean, it's, it's just in better condition than you found it. Now, some of us will make more progress than others. But the idea is that measure yourself by the distance from your opening balance rather than um, sort of where you are. So I think um, COVID was a big reminder of this, right, for everybody. I think it 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 you you could be very short term in your thinking as a company, as an individual, as a family, or as a country. I mean, America's fiscal deficit was more than our GDP in in COVID, um, but it's come back to haunt them, right? Inflation. I mean, there there are no free rides. So I would submit that. Thinking about Amanat versus Chagi, should that be the heart of everybody's sort of decision-making? And how do you be a good ancestor? You know, luck, skill, or choices? You know, when you're young, you think it's all skill, but then we meet lots of skilled people who are unlucky. When you get a little older, you think luck matters, but then you meet a lot of lucky people who are unskilled. So I think you've settled down. Being a good ancestor is about choices. You know, Dumbledore tells Harry Potter in Chamber of Secrets. It is our choices more than our abilities that reveal what we really are. So I would say the way I process the difference between a Jagir and an Amanat is to make choices that balance the next quarter and next quarter century. And that basically hand over whatever opening balance you had in better condition to the next generation.
0: And Manish, we are in startup capital of the country, possibly of the of Asia, if not the world. Um How do we communicate this to the young entrepreneur who's trying to dive into the ecosystem? Um, You know, uh, do they discover it along the way or do they architect their initial few steps, keeping this in mind? What would be your message to them?
1: I would say pick the right role models. I, I think that, you know, I met an entrepreneur last year and he asked him, what is your strategy? And he said, raising more money than my competitors. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a stupid, answer I've ever heard, um, because finally... Money is, is, a, is, is an important fuel for growth, but it is not the engine of growth, right? It, 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 engines of growth are, are, are different things. And so I would say that for startup entrepreneurs, you know, Elliot Kipchoge, he's the only human being to run a marathon in less than two hours. When he won the last marathon, he said, you run the first half of the marathon on your legs and the second half on your mind and i think that's true for all careers that's true for all companies and and so i would urge entrepreneurs not to view the a 20 year plan as 21 year plans you know all great companies take 20 years to build they are marathons don't run a marathon at the speed of a 100 meter dash you will <laughs> not finish it <laughs> and make sure that in your mind you transition from running on your legs to running on your mind and and so i think entrepreneurs in the last few years um, the kind of venture capital and private equity that was available. 90% of India's venture capital since 1947 has come in the last 10 years. So, obviously, it's been wonderful for first-generation entrepreneurs. I mean, my parents were civil servants like yours, and we couldn't have created our companies without other people's money, right? Right. I mean, in fact, our parents were really worried about us being (laughs) entrepreneurs because in their mental model, you had to have money to be an entrepreneur. You're
0: not supposed to take money from others. Yes.
1: (laughs) So, I think that this venture capital private equity is making... India more meritocratic I think just like IPL made cricket more meritocratic or, or you know platforms like Amazon Prime and Netflix made acting more meritocratic I think venture capital is making entrepreneurship more meritocratic but my only advice would be run a marathon plan for the 20 years because anything great takes more time and money than you think and if you plan for that then you're probably more resilient um, and 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 more likely. Um, to reach where you want to go.
0: Fascinating advice. So, um, there's this lovely Urdu couplet. Khud ko tarteep diya, So Manisha, next segment is, It's really, uh, you know, about giving a, a peek into who you are as a person, what makes you click, right, to our listeners. And I wanted to know, what was the moment in your life which led you to the path on which you are? Uh, Was it even a moment or was it a phase realization? Or was it a no on a deep desire as the couplet that I just said alluded to?
1: I mean, uh, all individuals are what historians call path dependent right where we're going to a large extent depends on where we're coming from and so i carry the gifts and wounds of a civil service upbringing the (laughs) gifts are quite substantial you frugality is a very important thing for an entrepreneur but most important gift of a civil service upbringing is early in life you realize that we don't live in an economy we live in a society and so i think that was a wonderful gift for an entrepreneur to recognize that in a country like India, um, there is no contradiction between doing well and doing good. And so all the companies or organizations or projects that I've stayed involved with have really had that element of, look, you were born on the 10th floor. You know, you chose your parents wisely. You chose your pin code wisely. Those are the two most important decisions a child in India makes. And so you have to think of things that are um, really making a difference to India, because when you attach your wagon to this huge star or huge cause, then you raise yourself in that process, right? And and when me and my co-founder Ashok, we sold our earlier company, we said uh, we wanted our next company to be three things, one profitable and good for India. I had worked for an oil refinery before going to business school that was profitable and good for India. It wasn't really fun. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my friends has a Coca-Cola franchise or a cola franchise, and that's profitable and it's fun, but it's not really good for India. <laughs> At least my dentist doesn't think so, and I agree. Um, so I think that for for me, um, the the... Growing up in Kashmir, which is a fascinating place, but an economic wasteland. And much of the trouble you see there is because it's an economic wasteland. Of course, a large part of it is driven by stuff across the border. We, We can't discount that. But I think if it wasn't an economic wasteland, you know, the rest of India is exploding right now and Kashmir isn't economically. And I think that would change. So I think the way that the civil service upbringing I think going to business school in the U.S., I went to Wharton. I think it changed the size of my thoughts. I think that was an important part um, in in you went to Harvard. I think these places sort of um, expand the surface area of your mind, of course. But qualitatively, they change the size of your thoughts. So I would say that the role models I picked also, you know, uh, Maya Angelou is a poet. She says the universe isn't made of atoms. It's made of stories. And I think the role models whom you chose to pick. I live in Bangalore, so people like Nanda and Kira and Azim were were sort of role models who um, built it with um, honesty, integrity, scale, global capital markets. Didn't care about how much of their company they owned in the end. So I think that um, you know civil service upbringing, going to the U.S. for MBA, and obviously moving to Bangalore and having the role models I did is the path dependence that manifests itself in many things that I do.
0: Fantastic. And uh, Manish, I've always admired your ability to manage your time. I was uh, reminding myself and telling my team that I've, I had, I've invited Manish to be here at four. He's going to be here at uh, quite likely 3.40. And I think you were here at 3.40, 3.45. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and you're involved in multiple aspects of society. I mean, you are involved in governance of multiple institutions. Uh, You continue to invest in relationships, and that's something, frankly, that me and Gagan, we talk about, Gagan is my wife, and we're always amazed because, you know, we, we are at that age, we realize that that calls for effort and planning. So what's your philosophy in managing time? How do you do it? I would love to know your philosophy about relationships.
1: I mean, time is is a complex. Everybody has the same time. Right. And, you know, bandwidth is what we all talk about. But bandwidth is not the is not more time. It's not more days in a week. It's not more weeks in a year. It's not more years in your life. Nobody has control on that. Right. It is the at least professionally, I define bandwidth as the quantity and quality of your team. I think that um, the notion that you will be the junction box, the notion that you will sort of be the Ayatollah, the conductor (laughs) of the orchestra, is is just so mythical and so, so easy to buy. But any great organization that I've seen, it's really not, I mean, CEOs get the glory but, or sometimes get become the public face. But any great CEO will tell you that uh, bandwidth is the quantity and quality of your team. I mean, how many people can substitute for you in an investor conference? How many people can substitute for you in a press meeting? How many people can substitute for you in a client meeting is probably the best. Um, if you're worried about, you know, four people, who kind of, you know, not having four people or five people, then you should be thinking. So I think from a purely entrepreneurial perspective, you know, I've often thought entrepreneurs can create two kinds of companies, a baby and a dwarf. Both are small, but the baby is going to grow and the dwarf is going to stay there. The difference in a baby and a dwarf is not more food. It's not more money. You know, most it's a myth that if I had 100 crores, I could create a thousand crore company, right? That's never true. In fact, um, otherwise only rich kids would create big companies, right? (laughs) Rich kids usually don't create big companies. So I think that's, Um, The difference between a baby and a dwarf um, is obviously which market you're in. Addressable market is a big uh, thing. But I've noticed that the biggest difference in baby and a dwarf is the quantity and quality of your team. And that directly translates to the entrepreneur's ability to manage their time because then you're running the second half of the marathon on your mind. You're focused on strategy. You're focused on culture. You're focused on brand. Um, Anything that has a right answer Beyond a point should not be decided by the entrepreneur. (laughs) Any, we should, you know, there are two kinds of problems in life, um, technical problems and wicked problems, you know, technical problems, the rules stay the same, the players stay the same and the goals stay the same. In wicked problems, the rules keep changing, the goals keep changing, and the players keep changing. (laughs) Um, It seems like tyranny, but the most interesting problems are wicked problems. And those are the problems that you as a CEO should be working on. So I think time management for me is purely the ability to attract smarter people than me, give them freedom, give them free reign kingdoms. You know, I... Our team leads, my company is not a family business. I'm very clear my role as um, executive role is different from my board member role, which is different from my shareholder role. Nobody can touch my shareholder role, but my executive role is subject to performance and my board member role is subject to my thinking of it as an amanat where I balance the next quarter and quarter century. I think about relationships, I realized early in life that, um, you know, they're the best things in life aren't things. I think the frugality point I made about a civil servant upbringing was also really important. We didn't have much, but we had everything because we had so many people and so, much, so many relationships. And And, you know, relationships are not just sort of purely from the spiritual upsides, which is obviously the primary case. But uh, in a knowledge economy, your relationships are also your source of lifelong learning. They are also your source of lifelong challenges. They are also your lifelong... Um, hearing aids—they are your lifelong seat belts, and they are your lifelong mirrors. You know, the right. most dangerous lies are the lies we tell ourselves, <laughs> as individuals, as boards, as companies, and your relationships are the ones which keep you honest, also. So I'm—I so I would distinguish between personal relationships and and professional relationships, but both of them are equally important in this marathon, right? And and to say that I'm in the rush hour of life is what is usually the alibi people give for not reading a book. You know, I've read a book a week for 25 years. I read eight newspapers a day because the notion that you will, how you spend your day is not how you spend your life. (laughs) You know, many people think that (laughs) I'll spend my day differently, but I'll spend my quarter and my year and my decade differently. It's just a mistaken myth. You know, how you spend your day is how you spend your life. And so if you make the time for relationships, for learning, I would say in my, in my, in my prioritization and I you'd show me any person's calendar and i'll tell you their priorities in life you will find that the life time for learning and relationships is confiscated and everything else is given the rest because that time is already allocated and it comes again from my view of the fact that this is a marathon the, the, the this is compounding that is all that matters you know and and you how do you figure out the, the ability of increasing the life in your years rather than years in your life, right? I mean, we're not, we don't know how many years you have, but you can make sure that you use that time for your priorities. And my priorities were relationships and learning. And so I spend a lot of time reading and I spend a lot of time with people.
0: That's amazing, mm-hmm. Manish, And I'm, 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 I'm feeling lucky to hear this mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm very sure many of the listeners will really feel lucky in hearing what you just said. Uh, what are you currently passionate about? You know, I've, you know, from a from a distance that I have observed you, you know, your drive, your overarching philosophy, which touches so many aspects of life, and then your desire to contribute. Uh, all is in a single weave, right? And I have rarely find you pursuing something which somehow is not interweaving all of these things, but. Looking at your repertoire of columns and the topics that you grapple with, what are you passionate about now?
1: I, I think it it is the fundamental question on why is India poor? See, I have learned now in the last 20 years that there is no such thing as poor people. There are people in poor places, right? An electrician who moves from Patna to Bangalore gets four times more salary same electrician moves to the US, he gets 25 times more salary. Mm. So the problem is not with the person from Patna. The problem is with Patna. <laughs> <laughs> or it is with farming. Right? Or it is with the firm he works in. Or it is with the skills he has. So I think, thinking about why is India poor? You know, I landed in August 94 for my MBA. And within a month, I was asking myself, these Americans aren't smarter than us. Why are they richer than us? And... And I think now it's clear to me, India doesn't have a shortage of land. You could give every Indian household half an acre. They would fit into Rajasthan and (laughs) Haryana. doesn't have a shortage of capital. 50% of India's foreign direct investment since 1947 has come in the last five years. doesn't have a shortage of labor. 40% of our labor force is Vela. (laughs) (laughs) So the problem is what economists call total factor productivity, or most of us call entrepreneurship, innovation, or technology. It's called solo residual. So I think at least I am now spending my time making the case for productivity of cities, of states, of firms, and of individuals. You know, my parents live in UP. We live in Karnataka. Both states have the same GDP, but you... Karnataka does it with one-fourth the number of people. If you think about firms, there's a 25 times difference in large firms and small firms in productivity. If you think about cities, I mean, if everybody in India lived in ba- in Bangalore, then India's GDP would be more than China because India's GDP is $2,000, but Bangalore's GDP is $11,000 per capita. So I think at this stage, you know, India is fifth in total GDP and 138th in per capita GDP. And In political imagination, all these years, total GDP really mattered because we were a country coming out of colonial um, power, so we wanted to be big. But a 21st century economy um, is strong. And we have to be strong. India was weak. (laughs) We were politically strong. India and Pakistan born the same night have had different destinies because we were politically strong, our system. But we were economically weak. You know, one of my favorite poets is a guy called Ramdhari Singh Dinkar. He says, Only snakes with venom can be kind, benevolent, or generous. So in the 21st century economy, a strong economy can only be benevolent or generous if we talk about productivity, innovation, entrepreneurship. And so that's really where I spend most of my time. It obviously aligns clearly with Team Lease. I mean, Team Lease has three lakh employees on any day, but we would have 10 lakh employees if India's education, entrepreneurship, innovation system, and the regulatory cholesterol came down. So it's it's sort of, um, I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, our, our, we, we, we put our mission as putting India to work. I don't know whether we'll do that. I'll die trying. But, <laughs> and, but the only goals that you should set yourself are the ones which you won't get to and you'll die trying, right? And so I think the passion right now is is that cultural explanations for India's poverty are at best the soft bigotry of low expectations and at worst are racism. India is not poor because of cultural reasons. We have a plumbing problem. It's not a problem like cancer or climate change, and it's a problem we can fix and I think um now we're 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 sort of on our way I mean most people don't realize India exported more software last year than Saudi Arabia did oil, oh, wow. and all of us grew up thinking of Saudi Arabia and oil as this mountain that we would never climb, so I think IT, it's a very small part of our labor force, only 5 million out of the 550 million, but it's an OSIS of high productivity, and we need 10 more oases of high productivity, and then we can transform the country.
0: Fantastic. Manish, we're reaching the end of our uh, chat conversation, um, and this is a section which we call Chai Tales. Uh, simply put, we'd love to know what's the best piece of advice that you have received, and Why?
1: I, I would just say that the only advice that you can receive or is, is really be curious and be courageous. Everything else is, 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 is sort of downstream from that, right? <laughs> <laughs> because if you're curious, you'll sort of um, figure out what you don't know, which is often more important than what you know, because it's, it's really, you know, it's impossible. But curiosity without courage is really not as effective. Because, you know, all of us are scared of doing new things. All of us are scared of what we don't know. All of us are scared of new things. It's, it's not a medical condition being scared. It's a human condition. Yeah, the Greek <laughs> philosophers
0: put it as the highest quality. Yes. <laughs> I want so clarify. I'd
1: say just be curious and be confident. I mean, there are many ways in which we can manifest that. Um and finally, that is synthesized in in Gandhi sort of "be the change you seek," right? I mean, that is um, finally at the end. Um, you don't want to be the waiter; you want to be the chef, right? <laughs> you want to you 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 need to decide whether you think of history as literature or as social science. You know, the people who think of history as social science say people don't matter; it's all about circumstances. But people who think of history as literature say the history of the world is the biography of great leaders, right? Let me frame that. In 19, you know, the people who believe history is social science think that the British left India because they were bankrupt and tired after World War II. But people who believe that history was literature don't realize that the moderates, the Congress Party, was formed in 1885 till 1915. They were writing letters to the British that British rule is very un-British. But in 1955, when Gandhi Gandhiji came back, in 1917, there was Champaran, in 1919, there was Bardoli, in 1921, there was civil disobedience, in 1929, there was the salt march, in 1931, there was the <laughs> second round table, in 1942, there was quit India, and in 1947, they left. So I think the best piece of advice that I think I have received is, is recognize that people matter you know circumstances will be difficult mm-hmm. but circumstances change when people with will go against them obviously as an entrepreneur that's the path that both of us have chosen but i think we we sort of define entrepreneurship purely as business entrepreneurship lately but policy entrepreneurs i mean everybody is an entrepreneur in some sense who cho- who chooses to change the status quo so the best advice I probably got was um, be curious, be courageous. But the most important advice I would be give is, is to think of the world as an entrepreneur. That you know the opening balance is not given; the opening balance can be changed. There's a lot in the opening balance worth preserving. But there are many injustices in the world, you know, so don't define being successful as being rich, thin or good looking, (laughs) especially in India, because (laughs) there's such mighty causes of poverty or inequality or hunger or or justice, which are sort of beckoning us for a pilgrimage. And so that would be my advice that I would hand out to people is that um, what's when I landed in the US in August 94, there was a front page article on The Wall Street Journal which said that India is more interesting than important. I hope that journalist is eating the newspaper on which she wrote that, right? What's (laughs) happening in in India is not once in a decade or once in a millennium. It's really once in the lifetime of a country. And I think we are at a unique opportunity to
0: change um, or to build the India of our dreams. Couldn't agree more. And on that note, Manish, thank you so much for your time. This was a fascinating conversation and I'm sure all our listeners would really love it. Thank you so much.